This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. California passed a new law last week that could dramatically change college sports. The California bill would allow student athletes to make money off the use of their name, likeness, and image. It was just passed in the state Senate and now heads to Governor Gavin Newsom's desk. The bill would open the door for college players to get paid, not by their schools, but in endorsement deals. This signals a fundamental shift in how people think about college athletes. For decades, many athletes have argued they deserve to get paid, while the College Athletics Association, the NCAA, says they are students, not professionals. Today on the show, how the conversation around college athletes changed and what California's law means for the future of college sports. Welcome to The Journal, our daily show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knutson. It's Wednesday, September 18th. Last week, the California legislature unanimously voted through a bill that will allow college athletes to profit from their name, image, or likeness. Rachel Bachman covers college sports. And this bill also would prohibit colleges from uh, punishing athletes if they do the same, if they profit from their, their name. And you've been covering college athletics for a long time, both the sports and the business side of it. What do you think a bill like this will do to college athletics? Well, I think it will bring some more money to college sports, but more likely I think it will shift some around. For instance, now if a business wants to have a player endorse something that it sells, for instance, Nike, that business really has to fund the university or the athletic department. It can't pay the athlete directly. So now, under this bill, that business would be able to pay the athlete directly in the form of an endorsement deal. And so, you know, that could be new income, and it could be some money that's shifted from the athletic department to the athlete directly. College students making money off their sport, it's not completely a foreign concept. Way back in the beginning of college sports, there were no rules against compensation. I think because it was really the Wild West, very early on, there were some colleges that had a more sort of Victorian view of how athletes should be compensated or whether they should be. So as you can imagine, people playing by different rules is, is not great for competition. Early on, there was this idea that college athletes should only play for the love of the game. Walter Camp, a famous Yale football coach, said a gentleman never competes for money. But there were rumors of college football teams bringing in ringers. There was no national standard for how college athletes should be treated. When the National Collegiate Athletic Association, the NCAA, was formed in the early 20th century, it created basic standards for college sports. And eventually, those standards came to include a rule. Giving athletes a scholarship was fine, but there should be no paychecks, no endorsement deals. 
It's partly a philosophy, and leaders of the NCAA say that it also responds to essentially fan demand. That you know, many fans say they don't want college sports to be like professional sports. They want college athletes to play to earn a degree and to play for the love of the game. And a lot of fans, and certainly the NCAA, fear that if athletes were to be paid some significant sum beyond their scholarship, it really would change the fabric of the game, and and they wouldn't. Be as inclined to watch. In practice, the student athlete concept also helped protect schools and the NCAA. In 1974, a running back at Texas Christian University was paralyzed during a football game. A court later ruled that he wasn't eligible for workers' compensation because he wasn't a university employee; he was a student athlete. In the early days, this debate was really over small amounts of money, but by the 80s, the economics of college sports would change big time. College athletic departments really started exploding in sort of value when people realized that a lot of people wanted to watch, for instance, college football and college basketball on television. Television rights deals to broadcast games became uh, very lucrative. For instance, the NCAA itself puts on and produces the. NCAA men's basketball tournament. That money essentially helps run the entire NCAA. And it's not just the NCAA making money. For instance, if you look at coaching salaries, they've increased rapidly over the last ten or twenty years, and you now have a number of coaches making several million dollars a year. Some as as much as seven or eight million dollars a year, and you see sort of a a funneling effect happening because. Only a certain amount of money by NCAA rule can go to the athletes, and so the overage, the excess revenue, has to go somewhere else. So it generally goes to very fancy facilities, and it goes to coach and administrative salaries.、Mm-hmm. How did it change the relationship between fans and college athletics? All these TV contracts. Well, I think what we're seeing, especially in recent years, is、um, more of a realization among fans of. Just how much、um, the NCAA and these universities are making from television contracts. You know, as fans have watched these TV contracts balloon in value, they've also noticed that, hey,、uh, the athletes on the court really aren't making any more money than they ever have, and、uh, I think a lot of people see that and wonder, hey, is that really fair? TV nationalized college sports. It used to be that a player, say an Oregon Ducks football player, would draw fans from Oregon, like me. But with TV contracts, that player could get national fans, and schools made a point of selling jerseys with the star players' numbers, and made profit from these jerseys. But players still didn't get a cut. And then, in 2009, one player challenged the NCAA's rule in court. His name is Ed O'Bannon. Ed O'Bannon was a a basketball star for UCLA in the the 1990s. He was Player of the Year. He played on a national championship team. He was the kind of player that any casual college basketball fan knew. By the early 2000s, Ed O'Bannon was long out of college. He was retired from the NBA and working as a car salesman. And then one day, he stopped by his friend Mike's house. O'Bannon talked about what happened next on a podcast called The Nod. His kid and I were out in the front yard throwing the football. Mike says, "Hey, my kid last night was playing 
a video game with you in it. You want to check it out? I was like, yeah, man, heck yeah, you kidding me? <laughs> you know, so we go in the house and the kid pulls up the video game and he plugs it in and picks the team, UCLA 95 team, and there I am. Between the Connecticut Huskies and the UCLA Bruins, this is where both teams wanted to be. The jersey the player in the game was wearing didn't say O'Bannon, but it might as well have. There was a player on the UCLA team that was his height, his weight, his number, and he was even left-handed. He was ball-headed, brown skin, broad shoulders, number 31. One of my favorite moves, or at least favorite shots, was a jump hook. The jump hook was there. And yet, O'Bannon didn't see a dime from this. O'Bannon told the nod he was angry. I thought, how dare they? The balls that you got to have to take someone's... Look, if I, if I was an actor, you wouldn't be using my likeness without calling me, without, without us coming to some type of written agreement. But because I am a college athlete, you feel like you have the right to my image. It just rubbed me the wrong way. In 2009, Ed O'Bannon sued the NCAA as the lead plaintiff in a class action lawsuit. Essentially, what O'Bannon was doing was challenging the NCAA rules that prohibited athletes from profiting from their name, image, and likeness. You know, it's covered a lot of things. It was very limiting to, to athletes. And O'Bannon won his case. The judge ruled that the NCAA had violated antitrust law. Yes, the court said, O'Bannon should have been paid in this case. You can't use someone's likeness like that. But it didn't strike at the heart of the student-athlete concept. The judge in the case, Claudia Wilkin, wrote that the NCAA still had plenty of power to make rules preserving, quote, the revered tradition of amateurism in college sports. They sort of lost the larger war for freedom from NCAA economic regulation. The judge ruled not that players could make unlimited earnings based on their market value, but that schools could pay them a little more than their scholarships to help cover the actual cost of attending college. And for most college athletes, that was worth maybe a few thousand dollars more a year, and that's about it. But beyond the courtroom, for the first time, the idea of student-athlete compensation got a wider cultural viewing. Ed O'Bannon opened a door, and a new generation of college athletes walked through it. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. 
Ed O'Bannon's court case started a cultural conversation about athlete pay. And over the next few years, a few key events kept that conversation going. The first Ohio State quarterback Terrell Pryor and was a scandal at Ohio State. We'll have to sit out the first five games of the 2011 season for selling championship rings, jerseys, and awards and receiving improper benefits from a tattoo parlor. Terrell Pryor was a standout quarterback at Ohio State. Uh, In 2011, he and a few other teammates were sort of villainized for exchanging their Ohio State team gear for free tattoos and small amounts of cash and discounts with local businesses. And of course, all this is against NCAA rules. Pryor was suspended, and Ohio State's coach was ousted for misleading investigators about what he knew. I think in the wake of that, people started wondering, hey, why should college athletes be so persecuted for trading some of the few things they do get, um, like their team gear, for some things that they want or need? At the same time, college athletes were gaining a new type of leverage. The growing voice of athletes through social media was giving them a voice that they really had never had before. And more athletes started speaking out, not just about wanting money, but needing it. For instance, Kansas's Ben McLemore talked about an impoverished childhood where his mother sometimes had to sell food stamps to pay bills. And, you know, Kansas is one of the um, most storied and, and richest college basketball programs in the country. Uh, University of Connecticut guard Baz Napier said, um, even amid the media glare of the Final Four in 2014, that um, he sometimes went to bed hungry because of NCAA rules restricting how many meals schools could give athletes. Sometimes, like I said, there's hungry nights where I don't, I'm not able to eat, and uh, I, but I still got to play up to my, you know, capabilities and. Sometimes it's that way. You know? It really was striking. And I think his message so resonated because it was amid this setting that, remember, is earning the NCA apparatus itself almost a billion dollars. People were, really were very outraged. I mean, race must also play a role in this because many top players in the NCAA are black, um, including, I think, every player that we've talked about so far and they're often playing at majority white universities. So it's their labor, really, that's earning all the money that they're not getting a share in. Yes, it's true that at high-profile athletic departments, generally the football and men's basketball teams generate most of the revenue. And those teams, in many cases, are predominantly African-American. So there is this notion that African-American athletes are helping earn this revenue to essentially support the rest of the athletic department and yet not being able to share in any significant portion of that revenue themselves. And how was the NCAA responding during this period when athletes were speaking out? Well, you know, they they really did um, respond in cases where there was a public outcry. So, for instance, when when Napier talked about going to bed hungry, um, the NCAA very quickly changed its rules and allowed uh, schools to offer unlimited meals for athletes, which, you know, in hindsight is sort of a no-brainer. As incidents like Napier's got attention, the outcry wasn't just a one-off. Public sentiment was actually changing. In 2013, 71% of people agreed that a scholarship was compensation enough. Within just four years, that number dropped by 10 percentage points. But that does mean that 60% of people still support the NCAA's position. 
And among its supporters are some former players. I feel like I, I have a little credibility and knowledge about this because when I, was at the, when I was at the University of Florida, I think my jersey was one of the top-selling jerseys around the world. Last week, former quarterback Tim Tebow went on ESPN, one of the most prominent broadcasters of college football, and made an impassioned case against California's new law. And yes, I know we live in a selfish culture where it's all about us, but we're just adding and piling it onto that, mm. where it changes what's special about college football. Tim. We turn it into the NFL. Advocates for keeping things the same, like Tim Tebow, argue that money would skew recruitment. High school recruits would just go where they could make the most money. But the woman who co-authored California's bill was listening to a different argument. Nancy Skinner is a Berkeley Democrat, and um, she was inspired by hearing a speech she heard a few years ago by sports economist Andy Schwartz, who has been pretty active in criticizing the NCAA and its rules curbing athlete compensation. I think she just saw a, a chance to change something. You know, when this bill was first introduced, it had some opposition. There were some people who who voted against it. It's been modified slightly since its introduction. But the interesting thing is that as the NCAA has pushed back, more and more lawmakers have voted in favor of this bill. So, in fact, it's possible that the NCAA pushback galvanized California legislators and um, prompted them to vote it through unanimously, which they did. And how has the NCAA responded? Pretty forcefully. It sent a letter to California Governor Gavin Newsom calling the bill unconstitutional. It's basically said, you know, hey, we're working on this issue and we should have a chance to find some workable way to allow athletes to somehow benefit from their name, image, and likeness. And I think that legislators just said, you know, essentially, we don't trust you and uh, we're not going to wait. So here is our move. In its letter, the NCAA urged the state to reconsider the bill. The NCAA also reaffirmed its long-standing position that athletes are students and not employees. Really what this law in California represents is um, the beginning of the potential lifting of the cap in terms of what athletes could earn from their own skill. So I think what you'll see is, is a handful of athletes making significantly more than they make now, and um, maybe sort of a, a second tier of athletes making pretty good pocket money or pretty good walking around money. And many athletes will be, you know, largely unaffected. California's rule would go into effect in 2023, and it would apply to schools making $10 million or more a year from media rights. In response to this bill, the NCAA has said that it might ban California schools from competing in NCAA events like March Madness. Legislators, though, are betting that California's size will force the NCAA to change first. That's all for today, Wednesday, September 18th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. To hear Ed O'Bannon's entire conversation with The Nod, which is another Gimlet podcast, go to gimletmedia.com slash The Nod. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.